God is saying, I'm still a creator. Pause and pay attention to me. You're still not the center of the world. You're a small created thing. I've got it under control. Trust me, rest in my love. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today is Karen. Sorry, I'm usually last. I was drinking coffee. Hi. Oh, well, we'll come back to you. Joining me today is Tracy. Good morning. (laughs) And Karen. Done swallowing now. Hi. (laughs) They're both here. Eric will not be joining us today. He's doing something. We don't know what. He's not here, though. So You didn't say anything interesting while I was gone last week, did you? Like, you can't say interesting things when I'm not there. (laughs) Life is less interesting with you gone, Karen. So it's, you know, there's less to say. Silence. She's like, whatever. Good news. (laughs) Oh, we've been sitting here for a few moments. Just, well, a few moments. Gosh, we've been, (laughs) I think we've been on we get on here and we start talking for for forever before we actually start recording and just talking about health issues and the woes of the world and all those things and oh it just makes you i don't know makes me makes me want uh makes me want the lord to come back sooner just yeah like i'm ready god i'm ready i'm tired of seeing my friends hurt i'm tired of i'm tired of seeing weather doing strange things around places and i'm just tired of seeing people being awful to each other and i'm ready god i'm ready yep i guess he's not yet so we just have to bide our time and 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 uh keep holding on keep on keeping on well speaking of keeping on we're going to continue in our discussion of the book of Jeremiah this week. We'll be looking at chapters 14 through 17. Now, Jeremiah's message has been very similar to Isaiah's message, except that Jeremiah's is kind of more directly at Judah, more than that northern kingdom of Israel. And Jeremiah, in a lot of ways, has been a lot more direct. At least that's been my feeling. He's been a lot more direct than Isaiah was, where Isaiah seemed to talk I wouldn't say in circles, and I wouldn't necessarily say he wasn't vague necessarily, but I don't know. Just Jeremiah's wording just seems to be very much more to the point, very direct, very specific about things that's going to happen. I kind of had the impression that his isn't theoretical. Like with Isaiah, it was still the kind of the if then statements. Yeah. Yeah, like, more of do this, do this or else. Right. And then Jeremiah mm-hmm. comes along. He's like, no, nope, you've passed the point of no return. Yeah. You get ugly. Yeah, well, it would make some sense. I mean, I would assume that the people of Judah would have been hearing the, the, the prophecies of Isaiah as well. I mean, some of that was directed at them as well. But by now it's like, OK, yeah, I said it and you saw what happens. And now you guys are still screwing up. So we're going to get very. Very, very specific here. No yeah. More. Now's the time to doyle out the punishment. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, too, just how 14 starts is that, you know, he just goes through their basically their routines. You know, you're looking for your daily, your day to day grind. And it's it's without me, mm-hmm. you know, and it can't be. And that's the problem. And, you know, you want to continue to be my people, but you're not doing what you need to do. Mm-hmm. 
like uh, I don't know. I just felt like more like you're just giving me lip service. You're just going through the routines. And we've talked about this before. It's like I'm not in the routines. I'm not in the sacrifices. It's a heartfelt decision, and you're just not doing it. Mm-hmm. That's not it's, you're showing me. That's not where your heart is. Right. Right. Well, the chapter starts out with apparently there's some drought going on, like really bad drought. Like even the animals have left. It's so bad. They're just kind of gone. But what I was looking at, too, is, you know, is it figuratively or is it is he being descriptive about the drought that's going on within their heart? Mm. Could be both. When he got to the animals, when he started talking about the animals and the farmers, I took it literally. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you can see how it's metaphoric, too, though. Yeah. Right. You know, just yeah. the them being departed and away from God. It's like, OK, this this has a dual meaning here that we're seeing, you know, both both physically and and spiritually. Mm-hmm. So he talks about when it gets down to 12, 11 and 12. Uh, Then the Lord said to me, do not pray for the well-being of this people, although they fast, which I I, I have to admit, I kind of laughed. You know, if there's a famine, I I kind of laughed. (laughs) Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Although they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with the sword, famine, and plague. So I kind of just thought that this was, they were seeing the actual stuff happen. That had been <laughs> threatened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, in a lot of ways, they're they're kind of being softened up for what's coming, too, because of, of people that are suffering from fam- famine and plague and whatnot. They're not going to be much of a threat against a uh, uh, an invading force. They'll be um, like, did you bring canteens? <laughs> yeah. We'll go with you. <laughs> Maybe. Can we go, please? Yeah. No, that's definitely softened up. Yeah. So. <laughs> Interesting, you know, it, it seems like in some ways a little bit the people are starting to hear what Jeremiah is saying, but they still don't seem to quite have a legitimate grasp on the concept because they're saying things like, oh, you know, like, well, okay, we know we've done wrong and we know that all this evidence is against us, but why are you turning away from us? Right. Don't leave us. This is verses seven through nine. Yeah. And 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 um, you just want to go. You just look. You just want to go. What's what's wrong with you people? Have you not been paying any attention? Well, they did it right. Okay. So in verse seven, they did it right. Like, what else can they say? Although our sins testify against us, do something, Lord, for the sake of your name. Mm-hmm. We have rebelled. We have sinned. We have sinned against you. You who are the hope of Israel, its savior in times of distress. Why are you like a stranger to the land? Right. Mm -hmm. You are among us, Lord, and we bear your name. Do not forsake us. So they. It's it's a it's a it's a flattering way to approach a God that you've left over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what it seems to to me. The whole thing seems like it's it's attempted flattery. It's a it's, you know. Lip service. Yeah. Lip service. It's like, okay, we're going to say what you know, we know that you've wanted to hear the whole time. And God is basically having none of it. He's like, no, you have, you've insisted on having your way. You've insisted on wandering away. And now I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to accept you. I'm not going to accept this stuff. I'm going to remember what you've done. And now it's time for punishment. 
Um, you know, I, I look back too, and I think, you know, he's been giving him that warning, you know, even just in the repetition of, like we said, with their offerings and their sacrifices, your heart's not in it. So tell me what you want, but your heart's not in it. So I'm not believing it. Mm-hmm. Time for mm-hmm. the punishment. Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, I think we talked about this some last week where he's telling Jeremiah, or I think it's Jeremiah, he's telling this, don't pray for the people. Don't pray for them at this point. Don't pray for their prosperity. Don't pray for their deliverance because they're not going to get it. And I was, you know, I was, I was really struggling with that concept of don't pray for these people. But the more I think about it, you know, what is the point of prayer? The point of prayer is to be in tune with God, right? I mean, we're not trying to convince God. We're trying to get in line with God when we pray. And so for God to say, don't pray for these people because I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to relent this time. Do you think, do you think that's sort of just like God saying, if you, you know, if, if you're going to try to pray to be in line with me, then understand this has to happen. I don't know. It's just a, it's just such an interesting concept of don't pray for these people. Well, if, if he says that to Jeremiah, which it's, you know, it's been a week, but that's what I remember from that reading. It's more like a we're past the point of intervention. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, this is not your role. You're, you know, sit back and watch and help be there for them through this process because it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's kind of more how I took it is that it was a timing thing. Yeah. Don't you know, waste don't, your don't, energy. Yeah, don't frustrate yourself praying for something when I'm telling you I'm not going to intervene. This is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That's just kind of. But is that also like a hint for, you know, like where we're going with this, with the intercessory prayer? Is it like, you know, don't waste your time, but let's see you being a prophet if you're going to do it anyway. You know what I mean? Because we've heard this before. It's like, you know, they're doing wrong. Don't do that. Even Moses. Well, you know what? Let me stand in that gap and still let me pray for these people. And, mm-hmm. you know, no, I don't want a new whole new nation or new um, or the whole generation wiped out. You know, I wonder if it's almost like that's the next step for the for being a prophet that you're you know that it's impending doom against them, but you're still going to offer up the prayer anyway. Yeah, it seems like it would be hard to not, not pray. To, yeah, because I mean. And, and, you know, I don't get the impression that God is saying don't care about these people. I don't get the impression that he's saying don't have any feeling or whatever. It's just more of a. It's like, time yeah. for the punishment. Yeah, it's time for the punishment. So maybe. You can't hmm. avoid it, but, you know, maybe you don't pray for the. I'm not, not even saying not pray for the people, but maybe you just continue to pray for them knowing it's time for the punishment. Yeah. Yeah, instead of praying for deliverance, now you're praying for <laughs> guidance and guidance uh, to get through it, to get through you it, know, mm-hmm. to learn we, from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I can't. It just seems so odd to have this concept of just stop praying for people. Don't pray. That's just uh, it's it's uh, it, it's it's one I've been trying to wrap my brain around since we read it a week or two ago, and and he's well, saying it again. So. So I don't have a problem with the idea that an individual reaches the point 
where God has exhausted everything he can do to reach them and they have decided against him. To me, that's part and parcel of individual free will. Mm-hmm. You agree? Mm-hmm. You yeah. think it's different in larger groups or like, okay, let's, we'll keep it personal. So let's say I want to pray for one of my kids, mm-hmm. right? I know them pretty well. Of the humans on earth, I probably know them the best as far as the details of their life, where they've dropped the ball, where they haven't lived up to themselves, where they haven't lived up to God, where they've bypassed his calling for them rather than being like, yeah, let me be part of that, right? Mm-hmm. I probably know that the closest. So if 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 I ultimately want their salvation but i understand that it's free will and god starts inflicting something on one of them and my prayer is for them to escape what is being inflicted on them am i praying out of line it would be a natural prayer from my human perspective it's all i can see is they're suffering that's my kid i love them i don't want them to suffer God, please lift this thing. But what if they've created that the long, slow way in their life, and God is going to use this to ultimately save them? Yeah, yeah. If I understood that perspective, would that change my prayer? It wouldn't necessarily change that I pray for them, but it would change what I pray for them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Do definitely. you think that that's true of groups as well as individuals? I do. I think uh, yeah. that we've seen it, you know, that it's, you know, you have to learn from this. You got to turn your hearts. I think, it, you know, is the biggest thing that we see, you know, turn away from what you're doing. It, you know, I don't necessarily want to do this, but that's where we're at right now. You're not learning. You're not getting the lesson. You're not being refined to where I need you to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when he's saying don't pray for their good, really what he's saying is don't pray for this thing just to be taken away because it's not going to be because it's not going to be this is so in this case we know right we're looking through the lens of past tense and we know that this was part of god's effort to reach his nation and turn their hearts back to him we know Mm -hmm. that and so because we have that perspective we can understand why god would say that but at the time you're just watching the nation disintegrate well what's going on around us now we're, we're basically watching our nation disintegrate. What do we pray for? Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what is it that we pray for? Sometimes it's hard to even know. So I don't, I don't think it's a matter of do we pray? I think it's what, are, you know, do we plead for intervention? Eh, maybe. You know, I think yeah. that's, that's basically, at least when I was reading that before, uh, that was kind of the impression I was getting was God was saying, don't ask for intervention. This is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, he's like, okay, I mean, get in line with me, get in line with me because this isn't going to happen. So don't, don't bother asking for it. Asking for this to be taken away is not going to be the best for the people. It's not, it's just not going to happen that way. Yeah. It's basically what he says in verse 10 there. They, the people greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet. So the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness and punishment, punish them for their sins. Well, these are easy sins to point at, right? Like, you know, going to a grove and setting up alternate religions and bowing down to statues of gods that aren't real and essentially consciously serving evil is, you know, those are, those are brutal. Those are pretty blatant, brutal sins. You know, are, are we any different today? 
we have different idols. We call it different things. We don't call it worship. Right. We're more likely to have it be called distraction instead of worship. But when it takes priority in your thoughts, isn't it the same thing? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the people, they start, like I said, they're starting to hear, but I still think, like Tracy is saying, they're using, doing a lot of lip service. And, and their reactions to me are just, they're, they're kind of laughable because they're like, have you utterly rejected Judah? And, mm-hmm. and why have you stricken us? And when I read that, I'm like, really? Have you not been paying attention at all? Well, it's, it's, it's one step more than that. It's why have you stricken us so that we cannot be healed? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not why did you spank us? It's, you know, why did you wound us so deeply that we feel like we can't recover from it? Yeah. Well, you know, when when you think about the way God has been warning them for generations at this point, it just has me just going, really, really? You're you're asking these questions now. But okay, okay. And that's a conundrum, too, because the fact is this is cumulative strain. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I, I, there's this little part of me that has trouble with this part of theology where the sins of the father are visited unto the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, right? There's this mm-hmm. little part of me that goes, but was this generation really responsible for all of the wickedness? No, but they followed it when they heard it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. kind you know, of, yes. Slow, steady decline. Yeah. Where, you know, in like you're saying, the sins of the father, because new generations come along and let's just be honest, sometimes they don't know their history. They're just following the pattern that's been set into motion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's where I think it, it's this. So do they know anything differently? But I think that's a that's the role of the prophets to continue to tell them, OK, we're going astray. This is not where we started. We we had better days. And I think that. You know, even they were as much as they refer back to it, you know, the time of David and when they were, you know, on the top of the hill, it's like how far they've come to basically just being scattered, to being fractured and broken as a nation. And now it's time to to feel God's wrath, basically. Yeah. I I mean, it's it's hard to imagine a nation getting that off track, except maybe not kind of. It isn't hard. It seems hard when you're reading it nicely organized into chapters that make hundreds of years take place in four pages, right? Let mm-hmm. me just say it that way. Because right. you get this broad sweep and you're like, well, that's clear as day. How could they not notice that? Well, because multiple generations passed. It was one degree at a time. Mm-hmm. Oh, and well. For Josiah, who was it? Was it Josiah that was like, hey, what's this book? Oh, my gosh, this is the law. Oh, my gosh, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We need to do this, right? And he just like takes a sharp left. And he corrects everything, and he he does a massive course correction for the nation. And since he's the king, he can do that. Well, and it's it's not terribly hard to to imagine either. Even within our own lives, we can see just the little compromises here and there. And before you know it, you find find that you're facing 180 degrees from where you thought you were, and and uh, before you know it, you need to turn around. And whether or not you can is, or how easily you can. You know, that that can be a question. But. Right. And what's the fallout when it comes time for, for us to do a major course correction? What's the fallout of that? Like um, one of my clients this week, last week, he did something he really, really shouldn't have. And those of us who work with him every day were like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. 
And he was like, no, I think it'll be okay. And he had all these reasons and all this justification of why this would be okay, even though the entire history of his life says that this is not okay for him. It might be okay for someone else, but it's not okay for him. Mm-hmm. And everybody on my team that works with this guy was like, yeah, let's talk that through. Mm-hmm. Like, this, you've done this before. This is not a new verse. This is not a new song. This is verse five or six to the song, you know. And he was like, no, I think it'll be okay. And I've, I, and, I, and I've learned from you guys and I've thought all this through and I blah, 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 blah. And I think I'm going to be able to do the thing I've always done while escaping the fallout that I've always had. Yeah. Right? And as a team, we were talking about it. And, and one of the team members goes, yeah, I give it a month at most. And I was like, I don't even give it that. I give it like two weeks. Well, mm-hmm. it was like 12 days. <laughs> and everything starts to unravel predictably in the same way it always has. And it turns out that all of the judgment calls that he should have made were the judgment calls that he had skipped and everything that we had warned him about it, everything he had previously learned was still going to come down on him. He couldn't outthink the results of it. Right. Mm. So him learning him growing as an individual didn't change the people he was interacting with. Yeah. And I, and I guess I would say that was the crux of the whole thing. He had thought it through. He had justified it. And because he now understood his behavior patterns better, he thought that from his perspective shift, the fallout in real life would be completely different. But the fallout in real life comes from the other people interacting with you. It didn't actually change the bigger picture of what, what was happening. And then he's like devastated and, you know, his feelings are hurt and he's embarrassed and he doesn't know what to do. And like it turned into a huge mess. And those of us that were sitting there, like how long have I worked with him? A few months. And I'm sitting there going, dude, I, I've known you for a few months and I've seen you do this several times. Mm. Like, I think it'll be different this time. <laughs> Sound familiar to human nature at all? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I went home after sitting in his living room for two hours and having that conversation with him. I went home and was like, <laughs> I hope I never look that dumb. I'm pretty sure I do, but I just. <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, probably the most. I don't know. I find it funny when I read it is when they say when they're talking to God, and they say, remember, do not break your covenant with us. <laughs> um <laughs> Oh. Um, it's like, guys, who, what are you talking about? After all this, all this complete lack on their part to keep their side of the covenant and, and God, don't break your covenant with us. Like, God, uh, dudes, you, you broke that covenant a long time ago and you've been continually <laughs> breaking it. I just, when I read that, I just kind of laughed out loud. Just, just, uh. Like, wow, you guys are really not clear on how this works, are you? Um, And God, you know, when we get into chapter 15, God says, you know what? Even if Moses and Samuel were here in front of me, I wouldn't I wouldn't relent from this. I think that speaks a lot for the. Oh, it does. Volumes. Yeah, for the a lot of things. Speaks a lot for the relationship that he had with those two guys. Mm -hmm. Does he actually say go to your room in verse one? Is that what I'm getting? (laughs) <laughs> Kinda. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, kind of. You know, but like 
but yeah, you know, don't break your covenant with us. No, 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 no. Even if two of my favorite special people here were here that I had that I had conversations with directly, and and if they were here, no, I I would not. I wouldn't turn around now. I can't. I couldn't do it. And it's that relationship because just like we had talked about before, Moses was able to stand in that gap against the people that weren't, you know, that were just causing him distress and that weren't getting the lessons, you know, and Samuel, same thing is that, you know what, he knew that it was supposed to be set up as just um, a theocracy and not, and not have a king. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to go and it's just being put against just stubborn people and, I think they're the ones that had so much communication and that intercessory prayer with God that he he, he was able to be his mind was be able was able to be changed, you know, a lot of those things and just based on the pleading of these people and how much love they had for their people. Yeah, and then so here then the people maybe there's maybe they're kind of starting to get it here because they're like, well, where should we go? And oh man, if I ever hear God say this to me, I would absolutely freak out. But He's basically saying, "To whatever form of destruction is is there for you, yeah, it's waiting what, for you." Yep, it's there, and that's what that. Where should you go? That's where you should go because you that's know, where, it, where you're headed. It reminds me of that that phrase: "A million ways to die. Choose one." Mm. That doesn't make it any better. No, <laughs> no. No, destruction is destruction. Yep. And I mean, and the ways that he describes it there aren't great. Because isn't this where he gives them four different, it's almost like four choices. Yeah, death, <laughs> sword, starvation, and captivity, that one. Yeah. Great. <laughs> okay. not, not, not fun, not fun. But wasn't David given that option, the same option as well? Similar. Yeah, very yeah, he, similar. It was three options. What was that? Yeah. It was, you know, you, uh, my wrath under the the captivity of of one of the people that are against you. I can't think of the other one right now on the top of my head. But it was me or them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you choose. Yep. You know, and David was like, I'll choose you because I think, well, I know there's mercy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, how did that go? If I fall, let me fall into the hand of God or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember that that seeming strange because it it was going to bring a lot of problem on the people, but it was still like the least, maybe the easiest to 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 deal with. But because it was God's mercy and not not being put on uh, at the mercies of man, who will probably not show mercy. Well, and the other way, I think I think there was part of him that was also guarding God's reputation. Not to get off track of what we're saying here, but um, yeah. I think that I've always had the impression that part of him was guarding God's reputation. Like if an enemy comes in and destroys God's people and keeps destroying and keeps destroying and keeps destroying, as a human enemy would do, the the uh, the result of that, and everyone around him knew those were God's chosen people. That would be different. So let's just. If we're gonna if we're gonna get a punishment, let's keep it in house, kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Yeah. Well, God, he basically tells him why, because I mean, you know, we've seen we we saw all those bad kings of Israel just take things further, further down, 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 down. Whereas Judah uh, had a little bit more back and forth, and up to this point, it was probably more on the good side than on the bad side. 
but then God says, because of Manasseh and Manasseh, we just read about him a few weeks ago. Some of the really, really awful things that he did. I mean, he was seemed like he was killing people in the streets, like for no reason at all. And yeah. and uh, bringing bringing back all the things that had been basically done away with just before he came to power um, by his father. When, by, when Manasseh comes in, he just turns everything right around and goes right back to where everything was before and maybe even worse. If I remember, I didn't say that basically there had been not been a king worse than him. Right. And and uh, so Manasseh comes back in and he's doing all this stuff. And this is after Israel had been carried away. So we've seen where all this stuff leads to with Israel. And now Manasseh had come back in and done all these things again and maybe even worse. And this is why God says it says because of Manasseh, because of what Manasseh did and the influence there. And he just keeps uh, reiterating, you've forsaken me and uh, I'm going to destroy the people because they don't return from their ways. You know, if you took that that verse, I think this is verse seven in chapter 15. If you took that verse all by itself, it sounds really vindictive out of context. I'm going to destroy my people because they don't listen. But. When we've seen this slow, steady downfall, you you just see this need for for a corrective path, uh, and this is where this is where where all this has led them. So Jeremiah, he's not feeling great about some stuff here. Imagine he's, that. <laughs> you know, he's having to deliver this message, and you know, he talks about basically how he goes. I, I haven't I haven't done anything wrong to anybody. He's puts it into the context of of loaning with interest. I haven't loaned anybody with interest and I haven't taken any loans with interest. But basically, I haven't done anything to anybody. I shouldn't have any. Nobody should have anything against me. But everybody curses me. And it seems like I remember can remember times of hearing David saying this kind of stuff. And I can remember at least one time, too, where God had said this. Basically, you know, along the lines of what have I ever done to you? Why have why are you constantly opposing me? Um, Moses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the the guilt or the the pressure of being the messenger. Yeah, it's, you know, being a prophet can't be. I wouldn't think it would be an easy job. For a lot of reasons, I mean, one, you know, if you've got to speak up. Uh, to people who aren't listening to begin with and say uh, say something that's unpopular, that's hard enough. But, you know, when you get to the point where people are like, don't even talk to us or we're going to kill you, you know, that's not cool. And this is the kind of thing he's having to deal with. Now, verse 11, I had some question here because I ended up having to look at different translations for this to try to understand it. And every translation I was reading sounded differently. How to put it, because this is God's answer to him. You know, he's, first of all, Jeremiah says, I haven't done anything wrong to anybody, but everybody's cursing me. And in the New King James, God comes back and says, surely it will be well with your remnant. And I'm like, okay, we well, are remnant. So I'm thinking, who are we talking about? Are we talking about, you know, descendants of, of Jeremiah? Are we talking about people that are going to come through Israel after all this? But as you read through different translations of this, it's so drastically different in every translation I read. Yep. So New King James was, it'll be well with your remnant. Um, the ESV, have I not set you free for their good? 
Um, Young's literal translation, did I not direct thee for good? NIV, surely I will deliver you for a good purpose. And the message, but God knows I've done everything I could to help them. So, I mean, it's it was such a, there's such a broad, I don't even understand hardly what 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 the what the verse means here exactly, other than other than to say that there will be some good to come out of it at some point. Mm, I think it's personal. I don't think he's talking about Israel. So, okay. verses ten and eleven are Jeremiah talking. Mm-hmm. Alas, my mother, that you gave me birth, a man with whom the whole land strives and contends. I have neither lent nor borrowed, yet everyone curses me. Right. Mm-hmm. So he, the person, is a pariah because of the message he's delivering from God. You know, they're shooting the messenger, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And God's response to that is when he says, like, to go back to the New King James, surely it will be well with your remnant. That's, mm-hmm. I think, that's just a personal statement to Jeremiah. Okay. Yep. I can so, see that. Um. So I've got a parallel version. So you covered three of the four that I have, NIV, New King James, and the message. The other one I have is New Living Translation. And that first line says, I will take care of you, Jeremiah. I noticed the same thing. Okay. So anyway, I just, you know, God makes this great declaration. Who will have pity on you, Jerusalem? You have rejected me, so I will reach out and destroy you, blah, blah, blah. Jeremiah's response to that is, is a personal reaction like the the nation is getting rejected by god and the nation is rejecting him so he's at the receiving end of layers of rejection and he's feeling it mm-hmm. and god basically says i'm on your side mm-hmm. that now, was I'm, basically what i pulled out of that yeah yeah i'm curious how that played out i'm also curious about the original language that got translated so many different ways yeah that's, that's what was curious to me. That's the gist that I get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, it's going to be fine for you, Jeremiah. Uh, don't sweat it too bad. Um, but yeah, it's just such different, translated so differently. It must just be a, my guess is maybe it's just, uh, maybe there's not a direct, maybe it's a phrase that doesn't have a direct translation, and so they just do the best they can. I don't know. It was just interesting. But, um. It's reiterated again. These corrective measures will happen. Wealth and treasure is going to become plunder. Uh, you're going to cross over with your enemies to a land you do not know. And I think this is. I think the purpose of this largely is to put them into. It's specifically to put them into an unfamiliar setting, to just to foster some humility there. I mean, I think about any time you end up in a new situation, like you, Karen, going to a new job and a new place to live, and you know, me, every, anytime I go into someone's home to do some work or whatever, you find yourself in a in an unfamiliar territory and you got to really check yourself and, and, and think about what you're doing and how you're going to how you're going to uh, interact and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, you know, when your kids are acting up and you have to take away the toys and or you got to. You know, I remember I remember one time when my I did something I don't even remember. I was acting up apparently, and uh, my mom sent. Can't do that. I know. My mom sent me to her room. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. So, and I ended up having to spend the afternoon in my mom and dad's bedroom, and and that was a weird situation. 
you know, because obviously it was like it was to put me in a place where I wasn't going to have anything to do and I wasn't going to have uh, I wasn't going to have the distractions that, you know, those familiar comfort. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, my 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 daughter never she never got sent to her room as a punishment. She would have liked that. She would have been like, okay, I'll try to. Exactly. And so basically, this is God's like, you're going to somebody else's room, <laughs> you know, and, and I, you know, he, he just had to take them out of the situation. They had to be pulled out of it to to ever understand what how 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 they really had had it so good and had just squandered it all away. So anyway, that's that's, uh, you know, God is just keeps telling him this is going to happen. It has to happen. There was this um, there was this verse in later on in chapter 15 reminded me of a text from Psalms. Let's see. So it is in um, 15, 17. So so Jeremiah is he's talking about his calling. You know, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Okay, so then here we go. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. And that that word indignation reminded me of a text. I, I just came across it in Psalms 119 this week. It's 119.53. And uh, it says, indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. So for somebody with Jeremiah's calling and somebody and Jeremiah's message, can you imagine trying to sit in normal society and have casual conversation? Mm. Anyway, that reminded me of that that text. I assume David wrote this song, but I don't actually know. Anyway, indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, it can be rough. Staying on God's side, trying to be on God's side, and be able to interact with society at all. It can be tough, definitely. Uh, that phrase you just brought up here a second ago, Karen, about um, your words were found and I ate them. That brought me, it had me thinking of of a couple of different things. It's like, uh, let's see, in Revelation 10, when John is talking about eating a little book, and it was yeah. bitter to his stomach and sweet in his mouth. You know, what do we mean by eating? Obviously, it's talking about taking it in, internalizing it. Just uh, it just had a little echo in my brain there of that. And it also had me thinking of when Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body. You know, was he talking about something literal or is it something more figurative? I know some people think that to be more literal. I take it to be more figurative where he's like, take this in, internalize it, make it a part of you. And um, that seems to be like what Jeremiah is saying here is like, I, I, I had your words and I. I took them in and I made them a, a part of me. I ate them. I made this very important to myself. I made this, uh, I internalized it. I guess I already said that, you know, but anyway, it just had me thinking of those other couple verses there. Well, God gives Jeremiah reassurance. He says, if you return, I'll bring you back. Now, this is the, in the message that he's been given to the Israelites forever, you know, well, seemingly forever. Um, and is he talking specifically to Jeremiah here? Is this uh, is this a uh, broader um, application? Is both? But if you if you stick with God, 
he's going to stick with you. That's the that's really what it comes from. And then and then he says, let them return to you. So the people let them return to you, but you must not return to them. So it's just like you were just talking about, Karen, how 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 do you interact with society when you have this specific message? And God is saying, don't try to get too close to them. Yeah. You stand your ground. Let them come to you. But don't you go compromising and 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 go to them with this because that it won't work that way it won't work do you guys remember um jeremiah's like rant that he goes on it's it should be at next week's reading but it's it's in chapter 20 where he says you deceived me lord and i was deceived you overpowered me and prevailed i am ridiculed all day long everyone mocks me whenever i speak i cry out proclaiming violence and destruction so the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Like Jeremiah's calling is strong. Mm -hmm. Like he goes through life with this singular message. And it's not a pleasant one. And I can only imagine what that did to his social life. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's kind of what he's, I don't know if you want to call it complaining, but he's kind of complaining about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I. He doesn't, have, he doesn't have another recourse. I mean, like yeah. he's saying, like he can't even sit with normal people and have normal conversations. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's, he's so in tune with God's message. He's so aware of it. That's all he has to say. Mm -hmm. Sit there and talk about the latest show on TV or what the internet had on the news. You know, like he just can't, he can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. He's got an amazing conviction here. And uh, I sat alone because your hand was on me and you have filled me with indignation. Well, and you know, that makes me think, you know, when we get into uh, chapter 16, then it, it makes well, what God says here made sense to me anyway, but now I think it, it's giving me a little extra, a little, a little extra boost on it because he's telling Jeremiah, don't not to marry or have any children. And, you know, the reason he gives is because anybody born here is just going to be, they're going to be part of the punishment. And he specifically says they're going to die gruesome deaths. But now I'm thinking too, where God is, it's sort of a, you know, making it easier on him. You know, if if you're living in a society where there's a pr- real pressure to get married and have children, and he's in he's living in this society where he can't really get along with anybody, and if maybe this is a little bit of God saying, "Oh, well, don't worry about it anyway," because it wouldn't it wouldn't be good. Yeah, I, I don't know. You think? I mean, you know, maybe that's a piece of it. I don't know, but it it certainly puts another layer on it for me where. Where, you know, you don't want to don't don't do it. Don't don't have these children. Don't get married because it's it's just going to be it's going to all be ugly anyway. And since it's not a nice <laughs> way to talk about Jeremiah's baby. <laughs> everybody, everybody thinks their children are pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you never want to. You know. <laughs> anyway, tangent. But, you know, thinking about this, too, you know, the times that we're living in and. My kids have 
kind of both said neither one of them thinks they're going to have kids. And, you know, who who knows? You know, the oldest is 19. The youngest is 14. And so you never know exactly how that's going to go. But you start thinking about you, you look at the way a world the world was working. You look at the way that um, Judah was going and God says to Jeremiah, don't get married or have children. I don't know. It, it maybe makes you think a little bit about our situation. Of course, we don't know where exactly where we're sitting in history. You know, I think we all tend to think that we're winding down here. But it makes you wonder, you know, is this something if I were younger, if I were in that situation, how how much would I be looking at trying to start a family in a world that is its influences just seem to be getting worse and worse all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Just the state of the world in general. Mm Mm-hmm. Just the state of the world. And you're just like, boy, do I want to bring kids into this? I don't know. You know, and I guess those things are going to happen if they're going to happen. Of course, you know, we do have ways of preventing all that. But, um, you know, I want to. That's complicated now. They make pills and devices and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm wondering, too, if you... And this is coming from, you know, having children. We all have children. But do you deny the joys of, of being a parent? Not that it's all joys, of course. Mm-hmm. But there is still going to be that small remnant, if you have it, of good people. You know, do you yeah. do you leave that all behind just because of the state of the world and not really live? You know, and and... I don't know. I usually tell my sons it's, you know, being a parent, it has its ups and downs, but you look, you can look back on it fondly at this point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's not an easy, it's not an easy question. You know, there is joy. Like you say, there's joy in, in parenthood. There's joy in being in a family. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were in a position where I hadn't had it, though, would I know to miss it? I don't know. But it certainly still raises those questions, though, of, boy, what do I, who do I want to subject to this? Who do I want to bring into this? I know even my my mom, even at one point, she told me that when she was younger, she wondered. Well, no, it was more when I was having children, she was asking me, boy, are you sure you want to bring kids into this world? Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, ultimately, ultimately, yeah, we did. So, and that, you know, um, and we don't regret it. Yeah. Uh, oh. I do. I do in some ways feel, feel for my kids. Cause I think they're, they're growing up in a, we've said it before here on the podcast that they're growing up in a world that didn't exist for us when we were kids. It's right. totally different. It's completely different. And, you know, we try to, we try to nurture them in a way that we would have, thought would have been good for us in our time but we realize this isn't our time now yep. and and um and i'm sure uh, that's what our parents went through as well mm-hmm. oh i'm sure i'm sure and i'm sure every successive generation has thought oh it's so bad how, how can how can i even want to bring kids in so i don't know well, i don't know but god is definitely at any point god is definitely telling jeremiah don't don't do it here you know don't well, do it now. You know, of history, my goodness, can you even imagine that grief, the grief that would have brought him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and God doesn't pull any punches because he flat out says, don't have have a wife or kids because anybody, you know, they're just going to they're just going to die gruesome deaths. So don't, you know, just straight up. Don't 
don't do it because it's just going to be ugly. See, God, uh, he mentions again, don't mourn for these people. I've taken away my peace from them. And even he tells them that, uh, you know, when they die, there's not going to be anybody around to basically. In essence, what he's telling them, that all these pagan rituals and stuff they've been doing, there's not going to be anybody around to do those things for them. You know, he talks about. um, No, I don't remember exactly what it was. Different, uh, all different things that were brought about through paganism and and the ways that they would uh, deal with with um, all rituals and stuff when somebody had died. Um, there were things like, uh, you know, having having these big feasts and sh- uh, shaving themselves, cutting themselves. You know, he says nobody's going to do these things for them. So, um, not a, you know, it's going to be ugly, and there's not going to be anybody to to uh to perpetuate all the all the garbage that's been going on you know when the people ask what they've done to deserve this then he says because your fathers have forsaken me and you've done worse than your fathers so remember we were talking about that cumulative disobedience i don't think that's quite how we said it but how it's just it's gotten worse over time yeah and and i think that i think that well i i think that well god does hold the descending generations responsible it's only for their choice in the matter right mm-hmm. so if i'm born to a completely corrupt generation and all and i do and i look around at the world around me and i think boy that doesn't that doesn't seem very good i'm going to move this direction instead and so from my perspective, not even understanding all the spiritual options or laws available to me, I make a course correction in my own life towards the good. I think God honors that. Mm-hmm. But if I take, you know, that is not, society tends to work in pendulum swings where the generation below looks at what their parents did and says, eh, I can make this my own, Right. And and usually for several generations in a row, they'll take whatever their parents did and then they'll do that more extremely, right? Right. And then eventually you'll reach the end of that pendulum swing where the generation below looks at what their parents did and says, "Uh -uh, no, I'm going to turn around and go exactly the opposite way. And and there'll be a huge course correction. And I'm not even talking about doing it with spiritual accuracy. I'm just talking about society, I think, does these big, slow pendulum swings where I think there'll be it'll be like we get more and more sort of puritanical. Right. And then you'll get more and more permissive. Right. And mm-hmm. it goes in these big, these big, big, slow movements. But within those big, slow societal movements, I do believe that individuals are called to make their own judgment call and look at what's happening and say, do I think that this is correct? How will I live in this environment? And even like with these people, maybe they didn't have the law of God. Maybe they didn't all have a Bible on their shelf. Maybe they didn't have spectacular podcasts like our very own to help them think things through. But they're still going to think things through. They're going to, everybody's got an internal moral compass. And I think Mm -hmm. they do with that, even if it's just a couple of degrees back towards what it should be like, no, I'm not going to lash out. I'm not going to take advantage. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this instead. And I think that even within sinful and corrupt generations, God honors that. Mm -hmm. Even though it may not affect the overall direction of society, you yourself 
have trod your own course there like you should. Yeah, yeah I think you could see that with like Josiah. You know, he, he made sweeping reforms after it was said, but like we were reading just now, it wasn't still wasn't enough. But that I think during his time, they were able to make changes. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, you see a lot of times, you know, people, they'll recognize that the generation before them was bad, and then you see them do the exact same thing, and um, it just doesn't seem like a great excuse to say, well, that's the way my parents did it, you know, because when you're able to recognize that somebody was doing something wrong, it's an opportunity for you to turn around for yourself, you know, hear about people talking about you know, the biggest example that comes to me right off hand, and it's not an exact thing, but, you know, we think of God the Father. And I've heard of people say, well, my father was terrible. And if, you know, if God is a father, I don't want anything to do with him. But, you know, my perspective on that is, but you understand that if you understand that your dad was bad, so why are you placing that on this father that everyone is telling you is good? You know, so if you understand that something is wrong and you perpetuate it, you're just as culpable, maybe even more so than than the one who gave you that example to begin with. Although it is hard, it's easy to recognize evil or wrong when it's in your face or when it directly impacts you. Mm -hmm. That is your normal. It is harder to figure out what to do in response. Like I might know that I don't like this, I might know all all of those things. I may have a sense that this is horrid, but I don't know anything different. So I think it's I think it's different to run into a bad incident or a bad chain of events that leaves you with a feeling that this was wrong. I think it's a completely different problem to be raised in an environment where wrong is so pervasive that it's normal. Mm. Yeah. Okay? So out mm -hmm. here, I know a lady who her father um, started using her sexually when she was four. Mm. And when and her mom never did anything to stop it. And then as as her brothers got older, he taught her brothers to do it as well. And then when he when she was 12. He basically made her his wife instead of his wife. And the mom was around the whole time. So, like, I, I asked her, I was like, so what was that like for you? Like, you, you know, you, you went to school, you were around other kids. What was that like? And she goes, it, it was normal. Honestly, I, I assumed everybody had that. Hmm. Right? And um, she only had one childhood incident that made her think that maybe that wasn't normal. And that was when a friend of hers came over and her dad tried to get on her friend. They're like fourth grade or whatever. And her friend reacted with such horror. And this lady was surprised. Like, you know, what are you upset about? Isn't this normal? Like, it didn't even occur to her to be upset. She didn't like it. But she thought it was normal. She had never known any other way. So I do think that there's a difference between experiencing a particular sequence of events that stands out in a life of otherwise decency and experiencing pervasive evil that is your normal. Mm -hmm. That's the end of my speech. Mm -hmm. 
No, it's a good point. And to some degree, I think maybe that's what we're dealing with here in, in, in the text here too, is that people had been essentially raised with this stuff being normal to them to the point where they don't know how, they don't know how to change. Yeah. And, and that's why, that's where God is having to have to having to step in and we have to do something. We've got to do something because you're not going to turn around on your own, no matter how much I've asked you. And we've got to, we've got to make, uh, we've got to make that change here because this has become your norm and we can't have that. Yeah. So that's a very good point. Satan's done a good job with this world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, we get into verse 14, 15 here. I think, I think we get some talk here about, or I think something happens here or is going to happen here. That has been something we've talked about before we've talked about how, how in the world could the Israelites, how could all these people have this history of the Exodus and crossing over the Jordan and everything, all this history they have and, and still turn away from God so much. And now God is saying, that's not going to be your perspective anymore. Now it's going to be a point where you have a perspective on your own deliverance. You're not going to be looking so much to, oh, you delivered us from Egypt. Now you'll be looking at it. You could deliver us from the north or from from Babylon. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that that seems to me like it's probably going to have one of the biggest influences on them that they've had or one of the biggest impacts, I should say, that they've had, at least to this point, because like we've said, you know, it's like, yes, OK, he brought our great, great great grandparents or however many greats you want to go back out of Egypt. But what does that mean to somebody now? You know, it's, it's a story. It's a, it's something that's passed down. Maybe you, you know, maybe you read it on a scroll somewhere type of thing, but you know, the experiences of people in your distant past that you never met, not the same. It's just not, you know, we're not, we're not that far out of say world war two, you know, we're starting to basically lose that generation. We don't have any perspective on what that was like. Have none. You know, we we see pictures, we have video, uh, things like that. But you know, that was a huge impact on our nation, and it uh, it doesn't have the impact on us that it had on our grandparents or even our parents. Um, you know, we're not too far out of Vietnam. We don't really. You know, none of us dealt with Vietnam. Our parents did. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that much to us other than in a in a abstract sort of sense. And and so that's where God is telling him here, you're going to have your own experience now. You'll you will have some experience of being delivered. I thought uh, verse 16 was kind of interesting where he talks about he's going to send fishermen to get these people out. Uh, I think this is in context of that deliverance. He'll send fishermen to pull them out. It hunters. was just a, hmm? fishers and hunters. Yeah, fishers and hunters. It got me. It just got me thinking. Fishers of men. That sounds very familiar. <laughs> you know, and it, it basically, God is saying, "I'm just gonna, I'm gonna show you exactly who I am at this point. You're not gonna have any more question." So we get into chapter 17, and God is continuing to basically just tell them why this stuff has to happen. He says. That their, their sin is, how is it put, and written with a pen of iron and, and engraved with the point of a diamond on their hearts. 
Oh, this is saying a couple of things. I mean, if your heart is so hard that to write on it that you need a pen of iron and a point of a diamond, you're yeah. in your a bad heart, way. <laughs> yeah. Your heart, your heart has gotten so hard that this is the only way to make any kind of a mark on it. This just talks about how, just how deep the sin runs. You're so hardened. You are so, you know, when you're, when you're engraving what's like this, that's a pretty permanent, that's a pretty permanent mark that you have to make. And he's talking about even your children remember the altars and wooden images of of their parents and so it's more of that successive idolatry being practiced it's it's just been passed down passed down passed down and and the kids pick it up and and carry it on it's like that normal that's that's kind of accidentally what i was saying before like Mm -hmm. this is what's normal to their children now what yep now it says, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Trusting in each other is a bad idea. Now, this isn't ta- this isn't talking about going to somebody for advice, that kind of thing. But, you know, if you go to another person for advice, you've got to temper it with with what God says. You know, and I think, too, it's not along the same lines as like restoration. Going to somebody for advice isn't putting your faith in them to deliver you from, you know, what you're going through. I think it's still keeping your eyes focused on God and not going to someone else, Mm -hmm. i.e. friends, family, that kind of thing. You could Mm -hmm. still get great advice from them, but just don't think you're going to be delivered from them. Right. Yeah. And it compares. up to that verse though, where it says cursed is the one who trusts in man. The follow-up is verse 7. But blessed is mm-hmm. he who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence yep. is in him. Mm-hmm. And then the problem is, is in verses 9 and 10. So cursed is the one who does this. Blessed is the one who does this. And then the problem itself, the heart of the problem, no pun intended, is in verses 9 and 10. Mm-hmm. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. And I think that's that's what I was getting at before. Like, God knows what your normal is. If your normal is 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 48 degrees skewed from where God wants you to be. And you look at that and you think, I don't like that. I can do better. And you unskew yourself up to 39 degrees and that's the best you can do without a spiritual perspective without guidance and mentorship and leading i think god honors that but the human heart is the problem well you know i think you're just it's the state that we're born in we're born into a sinful world and that's you know that's how we how we initially start and it's that grace that fills the gap so Mm -hmm. matthew this is Jesus talking about, this is part of the Sermon on the Mountain. This is Jesus talking about the commandments. You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. That's an action, right? But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart, right? So Jesus is like, 
He's taking the line of acceptable behavior backwards into the thoughts that you indulge in. Because it doesn't, because it says, he who looks at a woman to lust for her, right? That's an intention. See what I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. And this this brought to mind a bunch of texts for me. One of my favorite is Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it, right? And we're, mm-hmm. I think, I think we're a mixed bag. I think that we humans are just a mixed bag, and this this weird line that we have to walk between our fallen nature and our spiritual nature, what we know we should do versus what our what our distracted self here on earth gets caught up in. You know, I was, again, I was reading Psalms 119 this week, and and several of these verses stood out in regards to this. David says, blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways, right? And then he says, now this is David. We know what David did over the years, right? Bathsheba, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? So this difference between where is your heart, where are your actions is extremely tricky to juggle when you have a fallen nature, a partially spiritual, partially fallen nature. And I don't know if you guys remember, but way back in Joshua, um, Uh, Joshua says, be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you to love the Lord, your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all, all your soul. So there again, you see this juxtaposition of outward behavior and inner state of your heart. Mm hmm. When Eric was letting us in, oh, he wasn't going to be here this week. He he posed a question to us in a text, and it was something along the lines of, and it was it was in the context of this verse: "The heart is deceitful above all things." What about after true conversion? Can you trust your heart after true conversion? You know, I look at that, and you know, it always just keys the point of the. Uh, once saved, always saved. Yeah. You know, but I always, I look at at Saul as a perfect example of that, that, you know what, he was blessed, the Holy Spirit was upon him, he was walking the way he should initially, and then was derailed. Mm-hmm. Derailed by self. So the heart can change. The heart is, it's, it's bound to the ebbs and flows of, of this world. Even even with true conversion, I still think you have the opportunity to be led astray. So Paul is another good example. Paul knew he was right <laughs> when he was still Saul, right? The other mm-hmm. the other Saul, you know, and he's out persecuting God's people and stuff. And then he gets changed over and he sort of reorients to what Jesus actually is. But in Romans, he goes on this rant. And here's here's what it sounds like. This is in Romans 7. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a sit as a slave to sin. This is Paul. This is the apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. Okay? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. 
but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do who do, the, do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, right? And he sort of goes on like this. Mm-hmm. So then, and then he says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, the things that you've chosen, right? And making me a prisoner to the law of work at the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Now, Paul tends to speak in convoluted paragraphs that are entirely too long, but I get what he's saying. Like, Mm -hmm. my intentions are over here, and my behavior ends up over here. And now what am I supposed to do? Oh, Mm -hmm. red man that I am, right? Yeah, so maybe the true conversion is is the continual understanding that you cannot trust your own heart. As much as we try to want to put our heart in line with, with God, we've got to understand that we are still fallible, we're still human beings, and we, we don't want to lull ourselves into a sense of complacency or of a sense of superiority in thinking that we're always going to be right because I got Jesus on my side, you know? Just got to be you got to be careful. You got to continually remind yourself that our heart is on. It's untrustworthy as much as we might want to think to the contary. And that's and that's what uh, Joshua was getting at. Be very careful to keep the commandment and the law. To Mm -hmm. walk in obedience, to keep the commandments, to hold fast, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. It's, you know. I I think Satan is the king of distraction and our fallen natures feed right into that. Um, It reminded me also of some of my favorite texts in Psalm 103. This is verses 8, 10, and 14. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So if you think of it from a father's point of view, this is like he knows more about us than anybody. And this is where his 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 understanding of our fallen nature is where his grace and mercy come from. Mm -hmm. Trust in God and trust in his grace. Don't trust in yourself. Well, Jeremiah continues to pray for deliverance, at least for himself. And I like the way he puts it. He says, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved. This is, it's like a, it's an utter certainty of God's power to do this. It's not like asking. It's sort of asking, but it's more like a statement. It's like, if you save me, I'll be saved. If you heal me, I will be healed. You know, it's, it's an understanding that this is, it is only God who can do it, or it's God who can do it. And if he does it, 
it'll be done. You know, it's sort of a circular, sounds like a circular uh, <laughs> way of saying it, but that's um, really kind of the point that he's making here. He, he's showing a, a, a real understanding that it's it's God who has the power to do this. And he reiterates his loyalty to God. And so he asks for God to not let him be ashamed or dismayed like his enemies. And, you know, this comes after the talk that we had about uh, the way that he has had to deal with, you know, other people who have been really terrible to him when all he's trying to do is is deliver God's word. The chapter ends with God given kind of a, I don't know, I guess sort of a specific command here, a reminder to, he says, stand in the gate to the king's use, or he said the how do you put it? The children, the, the the gate of the children of the people by which the kings of Judah come and go. To me, that was more specifically about this, you know, use the gates where the kings come in and out and remind everybody not to bear any burdens on the Sabbath. Basically reminding them to keep the Sabbath. Um, your fathers didn't listen. I want you to listen. If you listen, then kings and princes will enter through the gates sitting on the throne of David. So it's kind of like if you will... I think this goes beyond just Sabbath. I think this is basically kind of all of these commands of God. If you if you do these things, if you'll obey God's commands, it's going to result uh, in glory. But disobeying is going to bring destruction. And I don't know, it's, all, it's just the beginnings of a last-minute effort to teach them. I don't know. But um, I think it's, it's just finishing up like they always do. It's like, yes, it's bad now, but don't forget, you can come back. Mm-hmm. There's still hope and there's still salvation. Just mm-hmm. remain steadfast. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we've got to remember what the Sabbath is about, too. You know, it's not just some arbitrary day to not do any work. It's a day that was specifically set aside for recognizing God as the creator and as the redeemer. And so when God is telling them here to to re- remember to hallow the sabbath i think what it is it's just a big big old reminder remember who's in charge remember who made you remember who redeemed in the past remember who can redeem you and then like you said tracy remember that you know you can come back from this and it'll all be and and it, it and it can be good again at some point in revelation talks about the sabbath a little bit mm-hmm. well indirectly revelation talks about humans need to reorient to God as creator. Yes. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Sabbath is designed for. Right. You know, first week of creation, you know, the week of creation followed by a day to rest and reflect on the work that God did and how it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just dropped a candy. I'm eating candy for breakfast and I did not mean <laughs> to drop that on live air. I apologize. Cutting room floor, <laughs> cutting room floor. <laughs> Edit button. <laughs> delete delete so so early in the in the bible at creation is when the sabbath is set up we still have a seven day week even though there's absolutely no reason in nature there's no there's no nature rhythm to justify a seven day week that comes from creation mm-hmm. and then if you fast forward to the very end of the bible revelation calls calls people to come back to god the creator yep. and i think that the spirit of Sabbath is that 
I think it is, I am the created, I am not the center of the universe, I am a small created being, someone other than me is in, <clears throat> is, <clears throat> I <clears throat> am going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Choking on the candy. Cutting room floor, well no, it's under the couch now, that was, well, but yeah, it was, that was the last candy. <laughs> um, so I, I think that Revelation's call at the end of the world, I mean, we read in Matthew and in these different places how chaotic it's going to get at the end of the world. And at the same time, God is saying, I'm still a creator. Pause and pay attention to me. You're still not the center of the world. You're a small created thing. I've got it under control. Trust me. Rest in my love. Right. That's mm -hmm. what I get out of that. So when Revelation draws attention to the creator using the same language as the fourth commandment, I get really excited about that because it's one of the ways that God stays the same from beginning to end. Yeah, and that's the important part. And I think that's what's being called here is remembering who's just remember who who who's God here. And then it's this, uh, you know, this last command, because, you know, after this, we get into lots of different signs and things that Jeremiah gives. But it um, it really seems like here it's just being it's just like this last ditch effort, maybe. Of reminding the people who is God and you know why why it's so important to follow him. I think that'll about do it for us for this week's reading. Now next week we will get uh, we'll read looks like Jeremiah chapters eighteen through twenty-two. And while you are reading that and waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Look for us on Facebook. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and neighbors. And make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so we reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.